0: Welcome to the Running Explained Podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is sports dietitian Megan Featherston of Featherstone Nutrition. She's been working for the last 13 years to help her clients find their happy place with nutrition, exercise, body composition, and life. But her recent client history has been working with endurance athletes, specifically runners, to help them fuel their biggest and baddest goals. In our discussion today, we are talking specifically about gastric issues, GI issues, gastrointestinal distress, whether it's nausea or pooping when you don't want to, or just the general discomfort that can come with having a GI tract that is unhappy. So if you've ever had an unplanned bathroom break during a run or a race, or you are experiencing recurring issues that are actually interfering with your training, this episode is definitely for you. Megan, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, Elizabeth
0: so go ahead tell us your origin story tell us how you became a runner and how you ended up as a sports dietitian
1: oh man well my first road race ever was a marathon um and i mean that's kind of how we have to lead here right so i grew up playing sports but i always said that i only ran if i was chasing a ball so i played field hockey which is ridiculous cuz i'm 5'11 so then i played lacrosse and that was a little better match for my uh, stature um but i was always the runner i was always the midfielder i was the one who did all the running so it, i think it was probably a natural segue to then starting to run when, you know, we're done with school and we don't have our organized sports, but we want to stay fit. So I, uh, one of the girls that I played field hockey with actually ran the New York city marathon. And she was always the one that took the group and hid in the woods and didn't actually run. And I was always the one who only had like two people with them. Cause they were like, no, Megan really is going to run. Um, and I was like, oh man, if she can do it, I can do it. So, you know, there we go. And I signed up for the Cleveland marathon that was 2009. And went through Hal Higdon's free training plan and uh, hopped out there and ran a 357 for my first marathon.
0: <laughs> Congratulations that 4 hour barrier.
1: Right, the infamous one. Yeah, and then this past weekend just ran my second 257. So since becoming a sports dietitian, have applied a lot of the uh, principles and got curious about why things work and why they don't work and what we need to do to be the best runners and took an hour off my marathon time.
0: <laughs> Yes, that's amazing. Well, first of all, congratulations, because that's huge. And second of all, that is I feel like a very common story about how people ended up like, oh, I became a runner or I always had a, of interest in activity. And they ended up in my specific field, dietitian, physical therapist, whatever it is is—and saying, I just wanted to figure out how I could be the best I could be and then figured out, oh, there's a whole career path in front of me for this
1: hundred percent, you know, that's, and that's exactly where I was. So I was already a clinical dietitian when I ran my first marathon and I'd had a phenomenal sports nutrition professor in grad school. So I already had that innate curiosity with it. And I really, um, attribute her to my interest in research-based sports nutrition because she used to give us a topic every week we had to write an essay and we it didn't matter if we were quote unquote right or wrong we just had to find the research to support our viewpoint on it and she was really the one who taught me research based how do you read studies how do you interpret them sample sizes like you know was there sponsorship that altered the outcome you know all that cool stuff that you know i still use to this day to help people um So, you know, she got my nose kind of in the grind of that. And then I started, you know, immersing myself more in sports nutrition and obviously have have now made a full-time career out of it.
0: There's so much information out there when it comes to there there's so much there are so many words that people say about nutrition-related topics. Let's put it that way. And Learning how to not only read, like you said, actual research that has been performed, the difference between a study versus just like an analysis of a whole bunch of data somebody dumped on your lap. Who sponsored the data? How big was this? Did Gatorade sponsor it? Okay, right. well, we have to look at the bias there. You know, it's so funny as I was going through some hydration related posts a little while ago, all the research I kept finding was the Gatorade Sports Science Institute. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to ignore this, but I have to understand where the bias is coming from in who is performing the research and I feel like so many um, people get confused with all of the messaging out there about nutrition because there are so many vested interests in industry that pushes certain research that they have found that their thing is the best and for the average person who's just trying to figure out what to put in their mouths that can be really frustrating.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, the sports nutrition supplement industry is a billion dollar industry. So to your point, I mean, it's huge, right? And then there's, you know, one of the reasons I absolutely love following you is because your stuff is so research based and so meticulously put together, but useful, right? I think sometimes the research can be overwhelming, but the way you, you know, paraphrase it, it's very useful information. So, you know, I think that's what got me excited to chat with you today too.
0: Well, thank you. That's why I, part of why I invited you on the show is because of your, is that freaking true, true or false (laughs) when you address certain things? And sometimes it's true and sometimes it's false. And then sometimes the answer is, well, it depends on whatever the thing is.
1: Absolutely. And nutrition, especially sports nutrition is, is almost always gray. It's very, rare that it's black and white. Um, so I think it's important to throw out the facts so that people can decide where they personally lie based on some of the information that's out there. And you know, again, like, here's the info guys, use it for what you will. Um, I started the freaking two Fridays. It's been almost three years. It was like the new year. And so in January, it'll be three years. And um, I was, I was tired of all this like misinformation out there. And I'm like, man, you're in a position, you could do something about this, <laughs> you know? So that's where those kind of started and people seem to love them. And every year I'm like, should we keep doing them? And every year everybody's like, yeah. So we just keep doing it every Friday.
0: <laughs> so one of the topics for, or the topic that we're going to focus in today is one of those topics where I feel like there is a lot of information sometimes some misinformation and it's about GI distress when running or around running. So anything from nausea to diarrhea or gas or any sort of gastrointestinal issues that occur when you're running and seemingly at no other time, right? Like (laughs) So GI issues that are specific to running itself or obviously directly after the run. So let's just, if you want to give us a bit of a primer on what happens to your digestive system when you're running versus when you're at rest.
1: So I think it's important to note and no shock to anyone that you know our muscles and our lungs have the priority of blood aka the carrier of oxygen while we're exercising. So anytime that we start to increase the intensity, our heart rate starts to rise, you know we're working harder, that blood is um, more preferentially sent to our muscles, to our lungs. So we're not getting as great perfusion or blood flow to our GI tract. So over time, as we push intensity, push intensity on some of these long runs or some of these workouts that you know decreased blood flow to that GI tract, makes it so much more common for us to have what you're saying, the nausea, the decreased gastric emptying, the diarrhea, the vomiting, you know, in all sorts of things, or even just an abdominal cramp, right? So it could be something kind of little up to something completely like, stop you in your tracks as far as running goes. Um, But it, it all has to go back to the, you know, whole blood flow to different areas of our body
0: what are some of the most common, and I know it's one of those things where it's like, well, there are many common symptoms and there are many possible causes behind this, but what are some of the really basic low hanging fruit causes of gastrointestinal issues when you run or directly after you run?
1: This is one of my favorite things to get into with runners when they come to me, like, I've got these GI issues. I can't figure it out because I would say 99% of the time we can figure it out. We can fix it. And it's such a game changer for performance, for daily like happiness in life, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, honestly, the first thing we obviously tackle is what are you eating. So, I think there's a huge push in um, nutrition for some folks that we need to eat a clean diet and more plants and more fiber, and white foods are bad. And so, if somebody's coming to me with kind of this distorted view of what is good nutrition, and they seem to think that it needs to be a ton of whole foods, nothing processed, you know what ends up happening there is we are putting so much roughage, so much fiber into our body that when we do have a decreased perfusion to our gut, there's just too much left over there. And it is just way too easy for issues to be caused. So I think that's kind of the thing that we tick off first. Like, all right, how are we eating now from a diet totality standpoint, right? Like amount of fiber we're putting in, are there foods that you're eating that just bother your your GI tract? And then along with that is, you know, that timing of eating, like maybe we're eating too many vegetables the night before a run early in the morning. And we just need to tweak that and change, like maybe that we need to be eating more at lunch and not at dinner. So kind of the timing of like when we're eating those certain kind of roughage foods can be a game changer because, you know, somebody who's eating a ton of fiber, a ton of plants, you know, vegetables, those types of things, beans, legumes, all those things that are high in fiber. Um, Oftentimes, we don't want to give it up, right, for a three-month training cycle. We don't want to have to take everything out of our diet that we love. So we can get kind of just strategic with the timing of it, of actually the, the what that we're eating.
0: What about the runner who says, but Megan, I'm not going to go ahead and just start eating junk food so we can cure my digestive problems. That's crazy. Who would, what kind of dietitian would recommend that? And that's not what you're saying. <laughs>
1: right. No, not at all. Not at all. And I think it can be strategic, right? So if somebody's constantly having GI issues just on their long run, right, then we watch our fiber the day before. So let's not eat as many veggies, as many high fiber grains and things like that the day before a long run and then jump right back in it after. So it can be pretty strategic so that we can get the best of both worlds, if you will, and still not you know, impact our performance.
0: I love that you brought this up first because the questions that I get about runner's stomach, which is just you know pooping on your run when you don't want to be pooping, um, they say, no matter what I do, I always end up with GI issues when I run. And at that point, think about how much time you spend running in a week, in a day, right? Even a really heavy training load is like 10 to 15 hours a week right? And mm-hmm. it's not about what you're eating on your run. It's about what you're eating the rest of the time that you need mm-hmm. to focus in on. And maybe, yeah, it is that weird gel that you picked up that is giving you issues, but it's more likely something else in the other mm-hmm. 163 hours of the week <laughs> that you're right. doing.
1: Right, right. And I think once we, we whittle that down, right, that daily diet and make sure that we've got that figured out and it's supportive of us and, you know, on the same Uh, you know, realm is a lot of people can get away with eating a ton of fiber and still be fine, right? So this is just for people who are having issues while they're out there. And if they're still having issues, when we start playing around with the whole, you know, nutrition fiber aspect, a lot of times the next place I hop to is hydration. So I see, especially over the summer, honestly, 90% of people's GI issues are hydration. So kind of back to that perfusion of our GI tract, when we get dehydrated, when it's hot, we're, even getting less blood flow to those areas. So it just becomes, I mean, our risk of GI issues when we're hot and dehydrated is just astronomically higher than when we're not getting as dehydrated on these runs. So a lot of times people's minds are like completely blown when I'm like, we need more sodium, we need more fluid and we can get this figured out. I mean, I had some athletes that were able to successfully train over this crazy summer that we just had when they have never been able to do that. I mean, debilitating diarrhea after long runs that like kept them from not even wanting to train through the summer. And we were totally able to control it through hydration and, you know, significantly more sodium in their daily diet. So that was I would say oftentimes I see that hydration is even more of an issue than daily nutrition for a lot of my athletes.
0: Are there general recommendations for hydration just for the, the average athlete and how that might change in the seasons, right? Training in July versus in December.
1: So for anybody that has noticed that their GI issues are worse in the heat obviously that's going to be the hydration piece that's coming in there. But a lot of times we're not correlating that. So if you know, you're know you listening and you're like, yeah, my GI issues are worse in the summer. Like that's probably from a hydration standpoint. So if that's the case, whenever I work with people, first of all, how's our daily hydration? So sometimes it's that we're just losing so much when we're running. It's hard to keep up. But I would say a majority of the time we're going into these runs dehydrated. So that's like one strike against you, you know, if, you're already, you're a sweaty person and then you're going into these runs dehydrated. So that's daily hydration. So let's make sure we're getting enough, you know, super basic, super easy, like half your body weight in ounces. Let's make sure we're getting that plus anything that we're losing on runs. So for people who have these issues, I always try them to get them to understand what their sweat rate is. So we'll have them weigh in and out around an easy 1-hour run, right? Don't go to the bathroom, drink anything, you know, between those weigh-ins and we can figure out how how much are we losing? Cuz that can be a real eye opener for some people like, "Holy crap, I need to drink an extra 25 ounces of fluid for every hour I run." Like, no wonder I'm getting behind the eight ball. So really daily hydration and then understanding that sweat rate has been just a game changer for for a lot of folks over the summer before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next last forever
0: the stanley cup final on abc and espn plus begins saturday it's pretty unbelievable what the research says about the not only the variation in sweat rates but just what the average sweat rate is i think the average sweat loss rate is something like an a liter per hour mm-hmm. <laughs> which is mm-hmm. you think about a liter of liquid that is a lot of liquid and you're losing that Per hour on average. And some people, I am a a sweatier sweater. I lose more than that. It is a shocking amount of fluid to lose. And when you start actually like quantifying it and holding up a, you know, liter bottle of whatever, two liters and saying, oh my God, I'm losing this when I run for an hour, hour and a half, of course you're dehydrated. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think along with not just the fluid we're losing, but how much sodium we're losing. So what I've found is people who are saltier sweaters are more prone to having those GI issues more quickly. Um so a lot of times it's making sure that we understand that piece which you know, I've got a company in in Pennsylvania that we we do like sweat testing with. I know there's some other companies out there too. So for people that like are really you know debilitated by this, and they're telling me they're salty sweaters. Sometimes it's really good to actually get those numbers, you know, to know like, oh my gosh, I need an extra three thousand milligrams of sodium every day in the summer, like more than double what our body you know typically needs, quote unquote, needs on a daily basis. Um, so it can just be incredibly eye opening to to understand that more, to be able to tolerate that training more.
0: What about for runners who only get GI issues? On intense efforts, they say, "Well, I do, a, I do a speed workout, and afterwards, or at the end of it, like, oh, I need to find a porta potty, like right away."
1: Yeah, and I think you know, we we play with all of that, right? Like, how much fiber was around? Like, did we go into it hydrated? And then the other thing too is. You know, fueling during. I typically don't have people fuel during those higher efforts. So, like anything, um, threshold, interval paces, if we try to take a gel during that time, we just don't have the GI Perfusion to actually digest it. So, it ends up just being dumped, right? And then it can go through us too quickly. So, a lot of times it's just making sure that, you know, we're not using gels during some of those efforts um, and that we're going into them well hydrated. And then, you know, sometimes for some people, it's the nature of the beast. We're always going to feel a little bit crummy after certain efforts. Um, And the one thing that I've found is really helpful for a lot of people is like before we get to that, I feel like death phase, which might be 20 or 15 minutes after, like if we can get something kind of salty in our system, like some salty pretzels and a little bit of water or some sports drink, that can honestly kind of nip in the butt some of that nausea that can can follow some of those harder efforts so that we can get to eat something. Because the longer we go without nutrition after some of those, hard efforts, it just delays that it it prolongs those feelings. It prolongs all those issues. Um, So it sounds kind of counterintuitive, like, no, get something in your system immediately, because that's like the last thing your body feels like it needs. But it can really be, you know, such a game changer for that.
0: Are you seeing any uptick in specific kinds of GI issues now with the proliferation of low carb or high fat diets that maybe you weren't seeing a couple years ago?
1: Oh, that's a good that's a good question. You know, I think I would say one thing that I'm seeing a lot of is people like going into runs fasted or trying to um perform for a decent amount of time before taking a gel, like pushing off fueling till the very end of a long run. And that whole scenario is just exacerbating GI issues. So, you know, there is something to the fact that we do need to train our gut. So if we're feeding ourselves before a run, if we're fueling early in runs, our body's going to get used to how do I deal with this? How do I digest this? How do I use this? And it can actually help decrease GI issues versus somebody who's constantly going into runs fasted, constantly not. Fueling. So then, when you do fuel, yeah, it doesn't work. You know, it's too too late. You're you know behind the eight ball there. And then also, your body you haven't like practiced this. You haven't showed your body what it needs to be doing and worked on it together. Truthfully, um, so I would say probably that's the biggest thing that I've seen correlated with um, with GI issues would just be more of that whole like intermittent fasting or fasted running and things like that.
0: Yeah. But that's a big, that's kind of, that's a self fulfilling prophecy for a lot of people. They say, well, I, a lot of runners, find running because they want to lose weight. And there's a lot of messaging about intermittent fasting, like you said, and weight loss. And they, so they start running fasted and that's not good for your performance, nor necessarily the best way to lose weight either. So it's double Mm -hmm. whammy against you. But then when they do start feeling on their runs, they say, Oh, but I have GI distress. So I have to run fasted or else I get nauseous or have diarrhea or throw up. And then they say, I just can't, my body is special. I'm the only person I I cannot eat anything when I run. And I've actually heard people say, I can't even drink water when I run because I get so nauseous.
1: Yeah. And I I'm laughing because we've all heard this, right? Maybe we've even said it at some point in our careers or or something. Um, and you know, honestly, I always turn it back and be like, what are the goals? Right? I mean, if our goal is to PR in a marathon, like we can't do that fasted. So what do we need to do now to get you to tolerate those things? And truthfully, the other thing that's really helpful is just water on runs can actually exacerbate GI issues. Like we're going to actually absorb that fluid faster, better. It's going to empty from our stomach faster so we don't have sloshing if there's some sodium and some glucose in there as well. So a lot of times I'm like, yeah, I, I can't drink water on long runs either. Like get rid of the water. Let's get some electrolytes in there. Let's try a new product. Um, let's fuel early. So I was just having this discussion with one of my athletes this morning who's, who's running Boston. And we Again, we're talking about the importance of fueling early, front-loading our nutrition so that we're getting good good performance race nutrition in before our perceived exertion and heart rate start to climb at the end of the race. So, you know, for an example, this past weekend, I got the majority of my carbohydrates in before 90 minutes. So I took in like 90 grams of carbs by 90 minutes of my marathon. And then I got 50 grams of carbs in in the next what was it? I don't know, hour and 20 minutes, something like that. So, you know, if you can see that distribution, like I made sure to get as much as I could in early in case perceived exertion, heart rate, all that stuff was so high that we couldn't get it in later, you know, if we were starting to have GI issues. So things like that, it's completely turning, you know, these athletes' comments on their head, right? They're waiting to fuel till too late. And I'm like, no, 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 we gotta fuel more early. Like, what does that look like? And how do we, how do we change that? And I think that education piece is, is huge, right? Like people need to want to change something. And I've, I think both of our platforms utilize that education piece to explain to people why so that they can decide for themselves whether that's something they wanna explore or not.
0: That the recommended carbohydrate per hour during activity is really important. And it is a range, but you, you mm. kind of want to be as high as you can personally tolerate, right? It's not oh, you yeah. say, between 30 and 90 grams of carbs per hour during activity. And that's really like a you know, if if you could get up to 90, you know, that's one kind of hard to do while running. Maybe more somebody who is a a cyclist can get that many carbs in your system. Mm -hmm. But like the goal is to get as many as you possibly can without causing GI issues, because yes, it is actually possible to overfill your stomach. Is like you said, we have less motility Mm -hmm. when we're, you know, have decreased blood flow to our gastric system, but that's the goal is more, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's finding what is the right amount for you. Right. So I think what I found obviously I can fuel more early on, right? So it was like more like 60 grams an hour for the first 90 minutes. And then it was like 40, you know, it like petered a little bit. But um, I think, you know, part of it depends on our intensity, right? Like if we're just going out there running at an easier intensity, maybe we can get away with a little less, but like if we're really out there trying to perform and get the most out of our body, you know, we're torching more carbohydrates when we're, when we're running at a higher intensity. So we need to make sure we're getting enough in to be able to support that
0: this is what I think is happening. You can tell me if this is right or wrong, When people are taking in hydration and fuel at the recommended rate and they're experiencing that sloshy feeling in their stomach. That's, that's not necessarily overfilling unless they're really cramming it in. Um, but it's more about that under emptying, right? It's the, it's the slowing of the emptying of your stomach. That's what's happening.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think, a lot of times playing with the type of product is helpful for people with that. Um, so a lot of times we can we can play around with the rate with which we're fueling, how we're spreading things out, how much we're drinking, when we're drinking, what we're drinking, all that kind of stuff to decrease that that sloshing so that we can make this work.
0: And something you touched on earlier about when you take in hydration, it shouldn't just be plain water, it should be something with has some electrolytes in it, something that has a little bit of glucose. And that has to do with how our body absorbs different materials in our small intestine. And basically it it, it does a better job if you can engage more of the like transport things to bring things out of your small intestine into your body. And like plain water will kind of just like barrel right on through. But if you have sodium, other electrolytes, if you have glucose in there, it's more effective. You actually also absorb more water as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Perfect explanation. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, But the other thing is some people don't like certain electrolyte drinks. So if that's, if you're listening and you're like, but I tried them all and I don't like them. I do have some people who are successful using water and then like salt tabs and then gels. So you're still getting those elements that we need. We're getting the sodium, we're getting the fluid, we're getting the glucose. So it it can be done without a quote unquote sports drink. It just, it needs to be strategic and all those elements need to be there somehow.
0: I've wanted to have this conversation for a while, and I think you're the person who can have it with me. Can we talk about the osmolality of different substances and why we need to ingest water along with gel, why we need to have the things we ingest be basically at a certain consistency in order for our body to absorb it properly?
1: Right. So this could happen if we're taking a gel without water, right? Or if we have An electrolyte drink and we've poured too much of the powder into not enough water so those would kind of be the two instances that this could happen and if we take that into our stomach and you know Carbohydrates are a pretty big molecule, so they have a high osmolality. So yeah. what ends up happening when that's all in our stomach is it it's too concentrated in there. So water rushes from other parts of our body into our stomach to dilute this because it's our body's like, ah, there's too much sugar in there, right? So it dilutes it. And then what ends up happening is we dump it too fast or it hangs out and sloshes. But most of the time, it's we dump it too fast. And then we end up with the stomach cramping, the diarrhea, that type of stuff. So there really is you know, a reason that we want to mix our sports drinks, you know, one scoop to 16 to 18 ounces, you know, like it says on there, there's a reason behind that. Um, I added a little extra on a training run recently and it wasn't even that much extra. And I was like, that was dumb, Megan. Like, why did you do that? You know, not to do that. Cause it did, you could tell immediately it felt a little acidic. It felt really heavy. Like my stomach wasn't, didn't feel the same, you know? Um, And then same thing with gels, right? So I know the Martin gels, you know, claim that you don't need to take water with them because they're encased a little bit different in a hydrogel. But every other gel, we want to make sure we're taking some sort of liquid with it to dilute that amount of sugar that we're just dumping straight into our stomach to decrease the the likelihood of having those GI issues.
0: And I think the key part of this explanation is that it's not the sugar in the fuel. People are very... Mm -hmm kind of um, squirrely about, you know, but it's pure sugar. I I can't eat pure sugar. That's crazy. Who eats pure sugar? It's like, well, one, it's performance fuel. Like you're not sitting Mm -hmm. on your couch eating a bunch of goo. Um, But two, it is not about the sugar that causes the issue. Like you said, it's about how diluted it becomes in your system. So yeah, if you just down a bunch of that really thick, heavy, sticky stuff, of course, it's going to upset you just like it would if it were, I don't know, something else that were that consistency, but weren't, yeah. Um, sugar. So that's that's where the problem is. It's not that it's the sugar; it's that it's so thick and heavy. You need to also dilute it with some water or hydration.
1: Right, and if you're thinking about it, we don't want to pre-dilute gels because you know you guys know how hard it is to stuff your fuel in your clothing and belts and you know all that kind of stuff on race day. So we want it to be concentrated. You know, so that it's easy to get down. It's easy to take. We only have one or two swallows to get our fuel in while we're running fast. But that means we need to add some, you know, water from an outside source.
0: But of course, it's a disingenuous for us to just look at a runner and say, "Well, the reason you're having GI issues is just you're not trying hard enough." Oh, that gel should work for you because it works for everybody. That's not true because mm-hmm. every every person's a little bit different and. Not everything is going to work well for everybody. There are people for whom specific types of fuel, the type of carbohydrate chains that are in that fuel might be causing GI distress.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, we probably all recognize that there's kind of two different camps in gels. So there's kind of the real food gels, right? Like the spring energy, the Huma gels, and then there's more of the engineered type of gels, right? Like the Martins, the Goose, the, you know, honey stingers, the, all that type of stuff. And I think it's important to your point that we have lots of options and some things work better for other people. So, you know, there's some serious science behind the absorption of some of these performance you know engineered gels right they're literally putting in a certain amount of different types of carbohydrates cuz to your point we have different transporters to absorb different types of carbohydrates. So if we have like three different types of carbs in there, we can actually absorb it faster with less GI distress. So, you know, in my mind as a sports dietitian, I'm like, I'm always going to use engineered fuel. Right. But I've worked with hundreds of runners and some people do better with the real food based things. You know, they sit better, they seem to digest them better. They feel better when they eat them, whether it's a physical, mental thing, a combination of both, who knows. Right. But, you know, there are those two options. I do have some people that use the real food type gels that don't tolerate them because they are higher in fructose, which sometimes causes issues for people with really sensitive GI tracts. And they are absorbed a little slower. So people need to take them a little earlier, you know, if they're using some of those real food things. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with either of them. To your point, we just need to figure out which one sits best in our own GI tract. And at different intensities, so we need to be practicing taking these at race pace, you know, um, versus easy runs, just to make sure it works both both ways.
0: I don't know. This is not one of those questions where I already know the answer. Uh, I <laughs> genuinely don't know. Uh, are there any sex differences between men and women when it comes to what we can and cannot tolerate, or are there any menstrual cycle implications for how women might need to change their fueling during their cycle?
1: Yeah. So the one thing that I have found over and over again with my female athletes is anyone that has like a naturally um, fluctuating hormone, right? So if you have like a copper IED or no birth control, so your hormones are fluctuating naturally on their own. A lot of women are more prone to having GI issues on runs mid-cycle when they're ovulating. So hormones are surging. And then also in right before your period will start where, again, hormones are high. So what's happening those two times in the cycle is we actually are kind of storing fluids a little differently in our body. So we've got a little extra fluid in our tissues, which any female can relate. You feel a little bloated, a little swollen, right? That makes sense, which means there's a little bit less fluid in our veins, So it makes us more prone to dehydration, decreased perfusion to our gut. So that's a piece of it. And then also, as you know, you know, there's increase in like prostaglandins and different things that, you know, cramp our uterus around the time of our cycle. So if that's going on, that's totally hitting all the GI, you know, your small intestine, your colon, everything around there. So it's like like a double whammy that, you know, we're you know, making hydration or dehydration worse. Plus then we have these hormones that are like literally trying to contract our GI tract, which make it worse. So I absolutely see hormones for some runners. It's like predictable that we know if we have a workout around the mid cycle or right before our period starts, that we're going to have more GI issues. And in that case, we do everything we can to mitigate the hydration piece and watch our nutrition and just know, we need to know where the porta potties are those days. You know, there might just be issues more often during those times, but it's really, I've found in enlightening for female athletes to understand that and to be able to predict that so that they know, like I did everything I could and just got through it. And tomorrow's going to be better, you know, and just trying to keep a good outlook on it.
0: So in those situations, would you recommend increasing hydration? I assume to counteract the Dehydration—that is because we're like we're bloated, <laughs>
1: uh, which—and that brings up a good point because you do you feel bloated, and I think intuitively, a female, you're like I'm not going to drink as much. I feel so gross, and that's making it worse. So, kind of our intuition during those times is actually counterintuitive to our performance. So, there is some good research. If we increase salt, we increase sodium. It's actually going to pull some some fluid back into our our you know veins, so that we can transport, you know, more oxygen, all that kind of stuff, you know, have better perfusion to our gut. So again, totally counterintuitive when we're feeling bloated to eat more salt, drink more electrolytes, you know, but, um, that can be one piece that makes it more manageable.
0: Going back to the timing of how we just not eat in general, but thinking about the timing of fueling before a run, because, and I am also a big proponent of saying like, you need to eat before you run, you can't run fast. You need to eat either just a little tiny snack, some runners do need a little bit more digestion time. Some runners do are fine eating a granola bar as they're walking out the door. For runners who are experiencing GI issues, do you have a general recommendation for what their pre-run fueling might look like?
1: Yeah. And timing is a big piece of that, right? So I do have some people that need to make sure they're eating, you know, 60 to 90 minutes before most runs. Um, But then also finding the type of carbohydrate that sits well. So I think my classic example is, you know, a bagel and six graham crackers are equivalent actually four gram crackers, a bagel and four gram crackers are equivalent as far as carbohydrates go. But if you think about eating a bagel and how heavy that sits versus four gram crackers, I mean, I could probably eat eight gram crackers and still not feel as full as I do from a bagel. And maybe that's a personal thing, but I've, you know, seem to find it with other people too. So it's, I use that as an example because there's certain foods that are going to sit and you're not going to notice them as much in your stomach as you're headed out the door. So it's trying to find what that is for you. You know, for a lot of people, oatmeal sits kind of heavy. Maybe it doesn't for other people, you know, maybe a slice of Toast feels better than half a bagel, or to your point, maybe a granola bar feels good, you know. Or a lot of people use um, those like fig bars, like Fig Newtons, but there's another brand that has like two in a package that a lot of people use. So it's trying to find what you're willing to eat that sits well as you're headed out the door, and then also playing with that that timing um, too. But I think again, to your point from earlier, it, you know, is a pop tart is a graham cracker like? A health halo food absolutely not but it's exactly what your body needs to go accomplish this run so i think we need to understand the intention of the types of foods we're eating and be more flexible with our approach just to make sure our body's getting what it needs
0: mm-hmm. um and i i love that you brought up the bagel i the thought of eating a bagel before a run for me is like, a. I I would rather eat almost anything else in the world because it just sits like a rock in my stomach. They do. But of course yeah. there are runners who swear by it and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to, if it works for you, I'm totally not going to change it. Right. Let's, yep. let's move forward with the bagel strategy. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting, but we talk about running and nutrition and all of this is that I don't, I don't ever encourage somebody to become a calorie counter. Like obviously one, I'm not even qualified to go there, but two, that can also lead down a a slippery slope for some people. It's not something I encourage people to do, but becoming an informed consumer about what you're putting in your body. So learning how to read a nutrition label and say, how many carbohydrates are in the serving? Looking at the back of your gels, like say, okay, I need 60 grams per hour of this thing. These are my fuel options. Oh, this one only has 18 grams. Of course, it's not getting me to where I need to be. When I talk to my runners and they tell me what they're eating on their runs, I Google it in our meetings and say, that's not nearly enough carbohydrates. Of course, you're bonking Mm -hmm. on your long runs.
1: Yeah, I totally, I I couldn't agree with that whole sentiment more because I agree. I don't, it's too prevalent for us to get too obsessed with numbers, right? Like, I think the typical runner personality can easily go down a slippery slope with, you know, calorie counting and those types of things. So, I totally agree with you. I want to inform people about what their body needs, but, you know, never track to those numbers. You know, for example, the, carb loading guide that I put out recently, the science is clear. We have to get a certain number of grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight. Like it's just so clear. So, you know, some people could look at that and be like, oh, she's, you know, wants me to count grams of carbs. But truthfully, it's more of an education piece of like, it's just unequivocal that we have to get a certain amount for our body size. So here's what it is. And then we break it down into chunks. So like 50, 50 gram carbohydrate servings is how I kind of chunked it up. So people can just, I need nine of those today. I need 10 of those today and just make it easy. So to your point, we need to inform people about like what does have carbs, you know, what is higher in carbs and lower in fat to try to carb load with, without, you know, being completely obsessed with those numbers.
0: Something I've seen um, a couple of times in talking about runners and their fueling strategies is they say that they bring a protein bar or eat a protein bar, have a protein shake before their run, protein bar in their run. And protein is not, is a very important macronutrient. Protein is not what we're looking for when we're on a run.
1: Agreed. Agreed. So I mean, I think if we're out there for over six hours, they say we might need to add a little protein in, but right, not for most of us marathoners. Um, We need carbs. So carbs are what fuel our body, carbs and fat. But our body has plenty of fat stores to tap into. We don't necessarily need to take in fat during a run because I think the important thing, and to kind of link it back to our, you know, chat today about GI issues is – Protein and fat stay in our stomach longer than carbohydrates. So if we're just eating carbs, they're going to dump pretty quick out of there, especially if they don't have fiber in them. But protein is the only macronutrient that starts its digestion in the stomach. So that means it's going to hang out there longer. And then fat hangs out there longer. So if we're eating something before a run that's high in fat, that's high in protein, it's going to hang out in our stomach way longer than something like a banana, a slice of toast, a couple graham crackers. Those are going to empty really quickly, which is the point, right? You know, that's the point of pre-run nutrition. Maybe our post-run meal has all that protein for the recovery, has the fat to keep us full, has high fiber fruits in there to keep us full longer. But we just want to be kind of intentional about when we choose certain things, knowing kind of how our body responds to those.
0: Do you want to explain a bit about what sugar alcohols are and why they're not sugar? They're not a a fuel source for us.
1: (laughs) That is a really good one. So, you know, to get totally nerdy, like if you looked at the molecule of sugar under a microscope and you looked at like a molecule of a sugar alcohol, they look very, very similar. So what that means is that our body senses them both as sweet, but the the sugar alcohol is changed just enough that our body can't figure out how to digest it, how to absorb it. So whereas our, our small intestine has some transporters to pick up real sugar, it doesn't recognize those sugar alcohols. So they just go right through us, which for a lot of people means bloating, gas, distension, diarrhea, GI issues. Not everyone feels that way when they take in sugar alcohols, but, um, I remember back in the day, noon used to have sugar alcohols in it. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. They, they finally took it out. It's just stevia think, now. But- it was
0: like, it was sorbitol, which is like a, yeah. a one that like ferments pretty uh, aggressively in your gut.
1: Pretty good, right? Yeah. So a lot of these, you know, new protein bars that are low carb or low net carb, they just dump sugar alcohols in there so that they still taste sweet to us, but that our body doesn't actually absorb them. Um, so, you know, honestly, I say if you, if, So sugar alcohols typically end in I-T-O-L, so sorbitol, erythritol, you know, if you see that on the label, run away from it. I don't think that's anything any runner needs to be consuming while they're running or right before they're running. I mean, that's just a recipe for, you know, bloating and gas and and GI issues for a lot of people, Um, kind of a personal choice if you want to consume it in your daily diet or not. But I have had lots of people coming to me with crazy GI issues from sugar alcohols.
0: And I think the point about this whole conversation is that it really, if you are somebody who's, you know, it's, it's normal to occasionally experience GI distress on a run, right? Like if it happens every so often, welcome to the club. If this Mm -hmm. is a normal occurrence if this is frequent. If this is interrupting your ability to train in a meaningful way, it will take an examination of what you're eating, drinking, ingesting, not only on your run, but in the rest of your, you know, daily life. Like, look at the label, mm-hmm. look for those Oses or Al- the Altatols or, you know, mm-hmm. look for, our, is the thing you're eating is of 18 grams of fiber. Oh, and you just ate it right before you walked out the door for your round. Like maybe that was, you know, so like it, it takes being a little bit of a detective if you are trying to figure it out on your own. But then of course, if you can't, working with a dietitian is really that next step.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm And I agree with you. One of the things that's so tricky about GI issues, like daily GI issues, not just during a run, is our transit time from mouth to other end, right, is so variable, not just person to person, but day to day in the same person. Like we were saying, protein changes it, fat changes it, fiber changes it, hydration changes it, hormones change it. So in order to identify like what's truly causing the GI issues, you to your point, we really have to be a detective <laughs> to try to figure this out. And we probably do need to keep some just written like food diaries of like what we ate and timing to really try to figure it out. And I mean, you know, 95% of the time we can and we will figure it out, but it's not easy. Like it does take some commitment and some time to figure it all out.
0: Are there any signs of when somebody should maybe see a medical professional, and maybe like, oh, this this might be diet-related, oh, but we should probably get you in to actually see an MD here?
1: Hmm. I think, you know, once we start to rule some of these things out and we just can't get to the bottom of it or if there's a lot of pain, like some people will, will um, describe like stomach pain or GI, like, you know, abdominal pain with the bloating, that type of stuff, which honestly is usually an IBS symptom, right? But that type of stuff, you know, let's get to the doctor. Let's make sure if there's ever like blood in your stools, Obviously, something we need to go see the doctor for. Um, I've had a lot of people diagnosed, you know, as we've sent them like we've done everything we can and they're still having issues. And you know there's something out there, again, not a doctor, but that's what they've been diagnosed with is runner's colitis, so just that our colon just gets really angry and inflamed and mad from all the miles we're doing and the decreased perfusion to our gut. Um, and you know those are the types of things that we do. We want to go get a doctor on board for some of this stuff. Maybe there is some sort of medication we need. You know, a lot of times if somebody's having a lot of GI issues and they're also really anemic, their ferritin's in the toilet, I always tell them to go see GI. Like, are we losing blood somewhere? Do we have some undiagnosed inflammatory bowel disease? Um, you know, I think you can kind of, as a clinician, pick up on little things that you've seen in the past that were a red flag to, you know, kind of encourage people maybe sooner than later to go see a doctor. Um, and I think, you know, when we're seeing some, some benefits to the changes, that's always really hopeful. But when we're just you know, spinning our wheels and don't feel like we can figure it out. Or like I said, there's some of those bigger issues going on too, you know, that's when we absolutely want to get somebody else involved.
0: Do you have any stories where that there was an issue which you thought had a common fix. And then it turned out to be something completely different because I feel like sometimes, of course, yeah, like most people, will, you know, fall into the category of these, these common fixes. Oh my God, I didn't realize I was eating, you know, multi gummy bears during my run. Of course I was having issues, but sometimes the the solution is weird and <laughs> there might be somebody else out there who's experiencing the same thing and think, oh my God, I think that's me.
1: I think some of the biggest ones that are coming to mind, just coming off of summer training um, is a lot of times some of my saltier sweaters it's not just like oh i'm having diarrhea right like sometimes there's some other symptoms with it and i just it's just unbelievable how much better people can do when they figure out the sodium that they need and and the fluid i mean i just had a girl you know run a 317 amazing marathon cuz she was able to to train through the summer i mean she was taking soy sauce shots the night before long runs like she didn't she didn't want to go like all these like you know High, high end uh, high sodium sports nutrition products so she was legitimately taking soy sauce shots which you know has 800 milligrams per you know tablespoon so she was getting you know 1600 milligrams the night before so you know seeing some of my athletes do these crazy things but they work right and trying to figure out like how to make that happen in their life is is pretty crazy um you know from that standpoint that would be more of like a, a sodium example but i'm trying to think I mean, obviously, the protein bar thing is a huge issue right now. I see that a lot. Um, Not crazy novel, but people just not understanding why. I I often hear, I feel six months pregnant all the time. My stomach is huge by the end of the day. And then we realize they're taking in just ungodly amounts of added fiber and sugar alcohols, which, you know, to our earlier conversation, they ferment. So – you know, any any leftover fiber or sugar alcohols that our body's not absorbing has a whole chance to ferment the whole way through our small intestine, which produces gas, right? For, think of fermentation, right? When we make beer and things like that, the gas bubbles that come out, like that's what's happening in your small intestines, which causes bloating, causes pressure. And some people with IBS causes horrific pain. Um, so I think like realizing what could be causing some of those issues is, is crazy helpful for a lot of athletes.
0: Of course, this will be different on a, on an athlete by athlete basis for runners who do have something like Crohn's disease or IBS. Mm -hmm. What are their dietary changes they might be able to make to help their symptoms or are they just kind of beholden to how they feel on any given day?
1: And So a lot of, I mean, inflammatory bowel disease, right, like colitis and Crohn's, a lot of research has shown some benefit to trying to do things that are anti-inflammatory, right? So like more omega-3s, um, turmeric, things like that, that help decrease inflammation. There is some, I mean, it's kind of hit or miss, but there is, it's it's worth a try in my, and if you think about it, like as runners, we're promoting inflammation in our body constantly. So, you know, our typical diets don't get a ton of anti-inflammatory um, properties. So focusing on that can be really beneficial um, for a lot of people, but then also um, individual diet changes. So a lot of people, especially with IBS, you know, there's certain foods that always bother them. So we make sure we're super strategic not to get those in before long runs, before workouts, you know, not that we can never eat those things, which is being really strategic about when, and then also how much, so like dose makes the poison, right? You know, if, if we're eating a little bit of something that bothers us, we might be fine, but if we're eating too much, so just really trying to figure out, you know, what that looks like for everybody.
0: I've heard this sentiment a couple of times from runners who've reached out with GI issue questions, which I am, I mean, equipped to answer the basics on, but not equipped to diagnose or go into a deep dive. And they, a couple of people have said to me, I just don't have time to go on an elimination diet right now. Right. So these people, and to be fair, dealing with chronic GI issues is really, I'm going to say it's messy, but it's really uncomfortable and it can be extraordinarily frustrating, right? This is a, big deal. If your GI issues are not only interrupting your training, but are spilling into your daily life, like, of course, you're frustrated. Of course, you're angry and upset. Mm -hmm. Um, But do, do people necessarily have to go on an elimination diet to figure out what might be causing the issue?
1: I love this question because I probably don't agree with mainstream. I don't think so. I do not think elimination diets are the main – the first response for runners. Um, You know, that's obviously what they do for for allergies and very clinically we do elimination diets. But what I have found, if I can get eyes on somebody's nutrition, we can pick things out and start to play with little things before we say like – cut out all gluten, cut out all dairy. You know, that's like last dish resort in my, in my eyes. Like usually we can pinpoint things way before we have to do something drastic like that. I just think cutting, cutting out a huge source of solid nutrition for someone whose energy expenditure is so high, like most runners, it just, that's just worrisome to me. So if we can avoid that, I always try to try to see if we can pinpoint things without having to do a total elimination. Cause you're right. And your athletes are right. Like it's hard. It's really hard.
0: Is underfueling also a cause? It just in general, if you are not eating enough to support your caloric needs, it, can that be a cause of GI issues?
1: Yeah, yeah. And oftentimes that's kind of like a red flag to me, right? Certain language that I'll pick up from people and then just this constant complaint of GI issues 24 um, 7. Yeah, it can absolutely be a result of underfueling.
0: Okay, so if somebody's listened to this episode and said, all right, I've had these issues and I'm willing to put on my detective hat and do a little sleuthing in my diet. It sounds like the recommendation here, you would say time to keep a diary that lists your food and your symptoms and just track that over time. How would somebody go about Mm -hmm. knowing what to track, what to say, what notes to make for their diary?
1: Mm-hmm. And it would just be something super simple, literally on a piece of paper or in your phone notes or in a Google Doc, right, is just what you ate and the timing. And then literally, like, if you're just chronologically writing it in, in order for the day, write in when you have the GI issues, you know, and, you know, oftentimes... It's the meal, two meals ago that caused the problem, not what we just ate. That's very rare. So you can kind of start to put those things together. And then also add on there, the hydration piece. You know, too often we're not just seeing the nutrition, but also the hydration piece. And then... If we want to get crazy, I have females put their day of their cycle on top of it, right? So we can see if it's changing related to hormones at all from that. And then we want to track our fueling, what we're eating during runs. And then the other thing that we haven't mentioned that I see sometimes is people who are overusing like NSAIDs, like Advil or Aleve. Sometimes that is like the icing on the cake to GI issues. So just taking a look at, at things like that and things you're taking that might, you know, be exacerbating already prevalent GI issues.
0: Something you mentioned earlier, but we didn't really talk about was um, where side stitches, abdominal cramping, side stitches, different from abdominal cramping, like it's not your stomach that's cramping, but you get a side stitch or a side classic side cramp mm-hmm. that is sometimes caused by an irritation of the gut lining. Sometimes, sometimes it seems like it could be related to core weakness, but sometimes it is your gut. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And that one's a tricky one too. Like, is it your breathing? Is it your diaphragm? Is it like you're saying like some core weakness or a psoas problem? Or is it your GI tract? That, those ones can be some of the trickiest ones, truthfully.
0: For people who experience heartburn frequently, um, maybe on their run or just in their daily life, it, it, that be something that might be diet related as well?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the girls I ran the race with over the weekend was having some heartburn issues that kept her from, from getting where she wanted to go. So we've been like literally working through that for the past couple of days. She like contacted her doctor and has a plan of like when she should try to take Tums. And we think maybe it was the electrolyte drink she was, she was taking, but she never had it in practice. So yeah, there's absolutely things that we can play with to make sure that we get on top of that too.
0: Another thing I think it's important to understand is that we always say like nothing new on race day, nothing new on race day. Um, But as we find our tried and true things that work for us, sometimes companies go ahead and reformulate what they're doing and they don't always announce it. Um, So it's kind of always important to check in and say, hey, does the ingredients list on what I'm eating now match the ingredients list for what I was eating six months ago? Right.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That noon example was a perfect example of that. Right. Um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of companies will change things, whether it was their choice or they couldn't get, you know, certain products in. Um, but I think we're the, the masters of our own bodies. Right. So if you notice something doesn't feel right and you feel like nothing has changed, that's where we'd kind of you know, want to put our detective hat on again and kind of look at those individual products.
0: Is there anything else that you think that runners should know about GI issues just in general?
1: I think we covered the main, you know, aspects of what causes it. But I think, you know, we've mentioned it a couple of times, and I really want to hit it home: is you don't have to live with GI issues. There is a solution. There is a way around it. It's just, when are we ready to put in that time and energy to figuring out what it is and trial and error with certain products, right? Like if you have issues in the summer, we're heading into the fall, like, are we going to be able to figure it out right now? Maybe a little bit, but we won't be able to test it until next summer, you know? So it's 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 understanding like when we should try to intervene and, and whether that's in season, whether that's out of season, and then um, got to be ready to want to make those changes because it does take a little bit of effort, but it's totally worth it because you don't have to live with those issues.
0: And I think that's one of the key points is that it does it does take time and it does take effort, not only because we have to wait for our digestive, digest, digestive tract to move at the rate at which it moves, which can be <laughs> hours and hours and hours um, in some days, but that it's not gonna be a quick fix. Maybe it is, maybe mm-hmm. all you needed to do is tweak one little tiny thing and you never had GI issues again. But for some people, this is going to be a process that there are going to be some steps forward, there are gonna be some steps back, and that's frustrating, but all part of what needs to happen. Absolutely. So, Megan, if somebody is saying, "Well, you know what i don't I can't detect this on my own. I want a professional to help me. Um, you are a dietitian who is um, highly qualified in this field, and I think you're taking new clients. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's always a couple week wait to get signed up. So if you want to work together, sign up sooner or email me sooner than you actually want to get started. Um, but yeah, all my information's on my website at featherstonenutrition.com. Um, lots and lots and lots of free resources and education on Instagram again at featherstonenutrition. Um, and you know, absorb it all, soak it all up, ask questions. I love to answer them. <laughs> um, and yeah, let's, let's get you doing your best, feeling your best and running your best.
0: And something you mentioned earlier, you have that free carb loading guide. This is one of those things where if somebody has been a little carb avoidant during their entire training cycle, is it recommended that they go ahead and do a big old carb load in the three days before their race? Or maybe this is something that they wait until next cycle to really dial in on.
1: I mean, I would love to see them do more than their normal, right? And the, uh, the thing that I'll do here too is what foods are familiar to you let's use those to carb load because everybody are probably eating some sort of carbs, right? But like, if you're not used to bagels, don't eat 10. But if it's something else that you are used to, so we kind of figure out a way, but I still would recommend getting after a carb load. We just might want to modify it a little bit just because we haven't had time to practice it as much um, during training and not that we ever practice a full carb load, right? Like that's just for race day. Um, But yeah, the, the guide that I mentioned a couple of times is up. It's free on my website. You can just download it. There's a link on Instagram too to download it. I've gotten some amazing feedback on it over over the past two weeks. It's been so fun to hear people's success stories and how much better their races went. And, uh, you know, I've said it once, I'll say it again, like carb loading is stupid, easy. It does not have to be hard, but people don't nail it. And that's why I put the guide together because I was like, guys, this is so easy. It's such a performance enhancer, like eight to 10%, you know, on your race. Um, So um, it's just really exciting to see people doing well.
0: I think it was on, I forget what, I was on some forum and somebody described carbs as legal dope. (laughs) It's like, yes, it kind of is like, oh, they're running not fully fueled versus running fully fueled. I had another dietitian on, so sitting heavy on the tarmac, full glycogen, you know, fueled all the way through to the end of your race is an unbelievably different experience from being under fueled.
1: Oh, 100%, 100%. Literally mile 18, some guy ran up on me on a Sunday and was like, I downloaded your carb carb load guide. I got 500 grams of carbs in yesterday. And I kid you not, he and I were giggling at mile 18, running like a 640 pace, laughing, laughing, passing other people. He goes, but he didn't carb load, but he didn't carb load. (laughs) He's like talking smack to people as we go by him. And it was just hilarious because truthfully, that's when most people are hitting the wall. And he and I were just like ready to roll, like heading to the finish. So it's pretty cool.
0: Um, so the thing people, I think, get freaked out about carb loading in general is that it's just so many carbohydrates, maybe more than they're used to eating, especially mm-hmm. if they're getting a lot of their carbohydrates from complex carb sources are complex carbs, how they should be carb loading or is it okay to eat more simple carbs? And I'm, I'm Oh, this is a leading question. <laughs> I
1: recommend simple carbs, truthfully, because then it's less roughage in your intestines, right? Like if you're eating all complex carbs and you're doubling your carb intake, that's a recipe for disaster. So if somebody has practiced that in race day, I'm okay with it. But for the majority of people, we go white bread, white pasta, white bagels, graham crackers a little bit of candy, fruit snacks, you know, whatever it needs to be to just, you know, lock and load those glycogen stores so that you don't have as much roughage left over in your GI tract when you're running literally the hardest you're going to run all year at this race. Um, Yeah.
0: And I think that's a good place to kind of end as it comes full circle. It seems like Fiber might be really the first thing people should look at. How much fiber am I eating in my diet? And I think there's so much fiber in so many foods that we don't realize, right? That if you are looking at any low-hanging common cause for GI issues, just look at how much fiber you're eating. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm excellent I'm not saying don't don't cut out fiber like obviously we all of these things are important but (laughs) right right (laughs) when they occur um Megan thank you so much for coming on again I love your content I love your work I am so excited for people to listen and learn about this episode um so I will link to Megan's Instagram and website in the show notes you can find her follow her ask her questions that she can answer on is that freaking true Friday (laughs) true or false for Mm -hmm. nutrition myth busting so thank you so much for coming on
1: Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.